You and I are not going to learn how to truly be more like Christ, be conformed to the image of Christ, be more all in for Christ, if all we celebrate is just his resurrection, but we don't dive into the fellowship of his sufferings. Welcome to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. It is a joy to have you listening today, and we pray that you will be encouraged, challenged, and motivated to live for God like never before. And now, with today's message, here's Pastor John Couch. Holy Father, we come before you with a deep acknowledgement that apart from you, we can do nothing. But with you, as you lead and we follow, all things are possible. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would move in this place like never before. We pray that you'd grab a hold of us, you'd grip us, and give us soft, tender hearts. Don't allow us to have calloused, hard hearts, but soft, tender hearts right now, oh God. Clothe us right now, oh God, in your spiritual armor. Protect us from the schemes of the enemy. Open our eyes, as the psalmist said, that we may see your wondrous works. Oh, Father, give sight to the spiritually blind. Give ears to hear to the spiritually deaf. Help us to remember that we exist for You and Your glory. That it's always Your purpose over personal preference. Help us to remember that We have such an opportunity even right now to have a generational effect as we deny self and look ahead and pass the torch to the next generation. Oh God, I pray that remind us, God, that we have an opportunity to impact people for all eternity. I pray that each of us would take our position on the wall and stand in the gap. Oh, Father, I pray personally that my kingdom would be gone and your kingdom come. Father, I pray that my will be gone and that your will be done. Father, as we have this opportunity right now to hallow your name through the exalted spoken word, Oh, Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart will be acceptable to You and only You, my Lord, my Rock, and my Redeemer. And we pray this all in the mighty and the matchless name of King Jesus and all God's people said, Amen. We'll take your Bible and open to 1 Peter chapter 5, 1 Peter chapter 5, and We are looking at the last three verses 
of this great book, verses 12 through 14. Five chapters, 105 verses. We've mined and dug into every word in First Peter. As I was thinking about the title for this message, which you'll see there in your notes in front of you, I couldn't get away from this thought of suffering and pain. We live in a life that it's impossible to escape it. And my prayer is that as we leave this place today, that you, that me, that all of us collectively will be a people that understand as we unify in one accord, as we hold each other up, as we encourage one another, as we come alongside one another, that we will see the power of the gospel lived out and that we will stand firm in the grace of God. Amen? The question I was asking myself this past week, and I'll ask you out loud, is this. Are you spiritually well? Maybe we ask it like this. How spiritually healthy do you desire to be? It's interesting that in life we often devote much time and resources to the things that we treasure the most, that we value the most. And if we really believe in the gospel, if we truly believe it, if we revel in it, if we embrace it, if we cling to it, if we long for it, if we we hunger and we thirst for it like Scripture shows us and commands us to do that that prayerfully, that our, our gaze, that, that our shift of priorities will be the gospel in our own lives, the gospel in other people's lives, and the gospel all around the world. It's the greatest investment that you can ever invest in. Whatever ROI you're getting on any of your investments today pale in comparison to the investment into the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so as you think through those thoughts, I want us to to journey into this last section. I want us to journey in because we got to remember that as God is fighting for us, we must also fight for Him, if you will. We must fight for the gospel. We must be intentional. We must be urgent because Christianity is not a passive pursuit. Therefore, as we look in the Scriptures right now, let's read this together. 1 Peter chapter 5, 12 through 14. And here's what the Word of God says. By Silvanus, a faithful brother as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting, key word, don't miss that, and declaring, key word, don't miss that. Now here it is. Listen to this phrase in the ESV. That this is the true grace of God. Now, stand 
firm in it. 13, a little perplexing perhaps. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings. And so does Mark, my son. Hmm. Lastly, 14, here it is, the last verse. Greet one another with the kiss of love. Peace to all of you. Here it is, very key. Who are in Christ? You're probably thinking, well, last week you told us that the two verses of 10 and 11 are probably the greatest two verses, if you will, that could sum up the entire book of 1 Peter. And you would think, why on earth, why would Peter leave us here with these last three verses? And almost at face value, we could look at the three verses there on the screen and go, man, this seems like a letdown. <laughs> I mean, you told us last week that after we have suffered a little while, it's coming to an end. The God of all grace will restore and confirm, establish and strengthen you. But those are powerful words, especially when you're hurting, when you're in the midst of the fiery furnace that perhaps maybe some of you are in today and it's not making sense what God is up to in your life and you continue to ask Him, God, what are you doing? What are you trying to teach me? I, I want to grow. I want to become more like you. But, but God, I, I didn't sign up for this team. And then all of a sudden, after that big crescendo of, look, our suffering's coming to a close, God's a God of grace and mercy, He's going to restore, He's going to mend back together, He's going to repair, He's going to establish and strengthen us in the faith. And then all of a sudden, we read these words by Sylvanus, a faithful brother as I regard him. I have written to you briefly, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. Well, I want us to think through this. Sylvanus. Sylvanus, by all accounts, is actually Silas. Yes, the same Silas who traveled with Paul on his second missionary journey. And here, often was done, the assumption is that we can deduct from this is that he was a scribe, if you will, that he wrote down by the Holy Spirit's power through Peter and perhaps even carried the letter this is a faithful brother. Don't, don't miss that. This is, this is very key that he's faithful. He's trustworthy. Well, what a great lesson right there that in church that we can take that lesson and deduct that and download that into our hard drive that, that we're looking for people that are faithful. Faithful, able, teachable, we would say. In the call of God. And here Sylvain Silas is, and he's faithful to this work. He's, he's trustworthy. He can be trusted. Can I be trusted? Can you be trusted? I said earlier that commitment always involves sacrifice. And what we're committed to, we will greatly sacrifice for. Like if I really want to do something, I will crawl over glass to get her done. You know what I'm talking about? If I really don't want to do something, well, I'll find every loophole imaginable. I've got to rearrange my sock drawer. I've got to cut the lawn with scissors. I mean, I'll make up every excuse imaginable, right? 
God, through His Son Jesus, displayed the greatest faithfulness we could ever see modeled in the human flesh. If you go home tonight, guys, and you say, Hey, honey, I got great news for you. I got great news. Great news. I was 95% faithful to you today. Probably not going to be a good supper, amen? Might be your last supper. The beauty of the gospel is that even when we are faithless, the Bible says this, that He is ever faithful, amen? Like, aren't you glad? Like, in the midst, think about your day. Think about your past week. I was thinking earlier how much I let God down this past week. The opportunities I didn't take advantage of. The, the prayerlessness. The lack of Scripture, perhaps, on a particular day. And I came to this conclusion that when I stand face-to-face with King Jesus, that the, the lack of, if you will, of me pursuing Christ at times, the, the lack of me being deep into the Scriptures, the, the lack of me that being serious about the Gospel and, and counting everything else as loss, the, the lack of that, I'm looking at my own life here today, church, is certainly not because of lack of time. We have a phrase around our house that goes something like this, you do what you want to do. And here Sylvanus is, this faithful brother, Silas, and he's journeying on, and he's being the mouthpiece, if you will. And, and I'm guessing that when you look at this here, look at these two words with me in your Bible in front of you, exhorting and declaring, very key words, this exhortation. We're called Enon Baptist Church, the fellowship of encouragement. It's the word encouragement there. You've got to remember this, that the word encouragement isn't necessarily what we think it is. A lot of times we think, you know, if someone's got their head down and, and they've got droopy shoulders and the Eeyore complex, and so we, we come alongside and, and, and we just, you know, kind of pat them on the back. Well, that can be a form of encouragement, but really when you look at the biblical word of encouragement, it means this, to infuse courage into. When he's exhorting... Remember who this is, by the way. Who's writing this? Not a trick question. Peter. Who do we know denied Jesus three times? Not a trick question. Peter. Boy, you talk about a glorious example of how God can take the mess and create the message. Amen? And now, as Peter was the one who at one point was waffling... I don't know this Jesus character. I've never seen this guy before. Who is this guy? To now he's exhorting through five chapters, 105 verses. He's imploring over and over. He is just beating the drum. He is saying, look, I know you're suffering. I know you're struggling, but I've been there because I was on the other side, but the light bulb came on spiritually, and now I want to pour courage into you, but just not exhort you. It says right here, I want to, what, declare. Now, this is interesting because it's the word for witness. So he's exhorting, put this together. He's at the very end of all this glorious writing by the power of the Holy Spirit. There's Silas at his side, and we see so beautifully the connection of dots here spiritually Boy, this is good. He says, look, I've been where you are. 
and I've suffered greatly, some self-inflicted, some not. Don't lose heart, don't bend, don't buckle, don't break, stay the course. I know you're against this Roman Empire that's so massive, but you know what? There's a story called David and Goliath. And so often in our own battles, we forget that, don't we? When the walls of the Red Seas of life congeal, when the Jordan rivers of life are at flood stage, when there seems like there's no hope in your marriage, when there seems like there's no hope in your finances, when there seems like there's no hope at the workplace, so often we just simply stand still and we see the salvation of the Lord. He exhorted them, but he also declared it. See, that's the beauty of being transformed by the gospel. I personally don't need to defend the gospel, it defends itself. My job's to declare it. This thought hit me. Look there in that verse, verse 12. That this is the true grace of God. Now think about this for a moment, church. Here's what it means. Take the Greek language. We've already talked about faithfulness. He's now talking about truth, aletheia. So you have this true, it's real. There's not a hint. This is very key. Don't, Don't miss this. What Peter's saying here is there is not a hint. Like how much of something does it take to make it false when it was once true? How much does it take? Well, just a little bit, amen? He's saying here, look, this is the true grace of God. There is nothing false about this. This is the aletheia keros of theos. I mean, when you begin to unpack that phrase, it will change your life forever. The grace of God. None of us in this room, me at the top of the list, merit God's grace. The reality is this, that everyone in this room, me at the top of the list, when we're apart from Jesus Christ, we don't just have problems. We're just not broken, if you will. No, the reality is, and I'll point myself at me, apart from the blood of Jesus in my life today, apart from it, the best that I can conjure up is that I'm a miserable, wicked wretch apart from the blood of Jesus. And when you and I begin to understand that biblical reality, that apart from Jesus, apart from His grace, that for whatever reason, that, that in His infinite grace and mercy and sovereignty, that He shines His face upon us. That even though that we and I and you together, apart from one another, whatever it might look like, that there are times that we have willingly nailed Him to that cross, if you will, that He still says, I'm going to give you my grace. Unmerited favor. Nothing deserved. The only thing deserved is death. But then he says this, stand firm in it. Don't sit. Don't lay down. 
He says, stand. There's a reason why he says, stand. When you stand and you're in a battle, what does that tell you? When you are in a battle, and this is a spiritual battle we're talking about here, when you are standing, what does that signify? Well, it signifies that you're ready. And way too many people all across our country today are, are number one, they're in a spiritual battle and they have no clue they're in one. Number two, they're laying down. They're asleep at the wheel. The enemy has them in his clutches there. He has them in his crosshairs. And the Bible here is very clear that we, when we understand first and foremost about this grace, this unmerited favor that none of us in this room would even dare say, man, (laughs) I really deserve that. None of us that God looks at and goes, man, John, I'm glad you're on my team. No, it's because of the grace of God. Everything in my life is because of the grace of God. Everything in my life, everything in your life today, you should be giving Him praise even right now. God, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for not giving me what I deserve. But thank you for setting me free. Like true freedom, right? Not the stuff of the world. Not these cheap substitutes. These cheap counterfeits that we all are tempted to dive into, but no, the true grace of God. Because I'm telling you this, when you step into the fiery furnace of life, the cheap substitutes that you might be dabbling in today will get burned up in a heartbeat. But the grass withers and the flower fades. And I know this in the wellspring of my soul that the word of my God will stand forever. Are you spiritually well? Do you desire to be spiritually well? Are you standing firm? In the grace of God. Do you have right now, right now, in this moment, this period in time, and we only have right now, amen? Like we don't know what's going to happen in a moment. We don't know what's going to happen down the road. We have no clue what's going to happen. But we know this. We know this with confidence that we have this moment. Are you standing firm in the grace of God right now? Anchored, welded, riveted to the grace of God. And then we think about this thought and key number one, and write this down. As I suffer for the gospel, I must unwaveringly believe that God's grace is true, and I must tenaciously stand firm in it. Let me say that again. Key number one. As I suffer for the gospel, I must unwaveringly believe that God's grace is true, and I must tenaciously stand firm in it. It's going to be really difficult, church. Hear me clearly on this. It's going to be really difficult to stand in something that you're not really in. Did you notice that it said here in this glorious point, stand firm in it. 
How about this thought here from 2 Corinthians? Write this down as supporting text. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Look how the Apostle Paul connects the grace of God with suffering. You go, wait a minute, how does that even work? Well, look what he does here in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, 7 through 10. Here's what he writes to the church in Corinth. He says, so to keep me from becoming conceited, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, boy, amazing stuff was going on in Paul's world, a thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses. Why? So that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content Wow, this is powerful. Think about this. He's content with what? Weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. And then he comes out of the gate with this final declaration, and he pronounces these words by the power of the Holy Spirit. He says, for when I am weak, then I am church strong. Wow. Did you connect the dots there? That your pain has purpose? Don't waste it. Use it as a billboard for God's glory. Whatever you're dealing with today and the suffering and the hurt and the trials and the disappointments and the, it doesn't make sense and what is God trying to do in this world and what's he trying to do in my life and what's he trying to do in my marriage and my family. We see so clearly here that there are times that he gives us, he gives us these thorns in the flesh to keep us on his path to keep us depending on Him, to keep us hungering and thirsting, just a a constant thirst, a, a constant hungering for His righteousness, and then we'll be satisfied. Think about these other verses as I read them quickly. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, 14 through 15. Paul writes, while they long for you, love that, while they long for you, And they pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for His inexpressible gift. Exodus chapter 14, verse 13. Exodus 14, 13. And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which He will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. Did you see that? Fear not and stand firm. Fear not and stand firm. Do you see the connection? As you stand firm in God's grace. Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse 17 says it like this. Second Chronicles 20, 17. You will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm. Hold your position and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them and the Lord will be with you. You're listening to This Day in the Word, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. All of Pastor Couch's messages are archived and are free to download at thisdayministries.org. 
In addition, you can share your prayer requests with us via email. Our email address for prayer requests is prayer at thisdayministries.org. That's prayer at thisdayministries.org. And now, back to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch. Jump to the New Testament. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 13. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Stand firm, men. Don't bend. Don't buckle. Don't break. Stand firm. Galatians 5.1, for the freedom Christ has set us free, stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to this yoke of slavery. He's referring there to the law, and we've been freed by Christ, but we can make other parallels there that don't get entangled with sin, don't get entangled with the bondage of this world. You've been set free. Ephesians chapter 6.13, therefore, take up the whole armor of God, not part of it, the whole armor of God. Why? That you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. And lastly, Philippians chapter 1, 27. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Let me read that one more time. Make sure this sinks in. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Why? So that whether I come to see you or I'm absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for what? For the faith of the gospel. Boy, that's good, isn't it? I'll tell you what, there's something amazing when you get a group of people that put all personal preferences aside and just begin to get behind the gospel. It is so exciting. It is exhilarating, if you will. What do we need to do, Pastor? What do we need to do to get behind the gospel? How can we advance the mission? What do we need to do? Show us the way. It's amazing when you get people that are hungry for this. Watch out, community. Watch out, enemy. We don't take orders from you, Satan. We take orders from King Jesus. And watch him work in our lives. How about the last two verses? Verses 13 and 14 of 1 Peter. A little perplexing. We'll explain them. And hopefully you'll see very quickly that they're not so intimidating. 13 of 1 Peter 5, she who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with the kiss of love, peace to all of you who are in Christ. Let me read that last phrase one more time because this is the crux. I mean, I don't know if you understand this, but the final words of 1 Peter, the final words are these, peace to all of you who are in Christ. He says this statement, she who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings. I know you're thinking, okay, this doesn't make a whole lot of sense. You've got to remember this historically. Babylon represented opposition, understandably so, amen? 
We can deduct through study on this that what Peter is getting at here by all accounts is he's referring to the believers there. That church, she who is at Rome, this Roman Empire, this this great monstrosity, if you will, this opposition that is just pushing against. And again, you got to remember, think through what happened back to those early Christians early Christians throughout all of the centuries, just not in, in Peter's day, but throughout all the centuries, you think about what happened there at the hands of Rome, that Nero's circus, and they would fill the stadiums, they would fill the Colosseum with, with just thousands of people while they let the lions loose, the, the roaring lions, to just tear these believers into shreds. They would burn them at the stake. They would put them there on large poles and light them aflame, and therefore, hence the definition of a Roman candle. You think about what they went through. The real persecution. The real persecution. And like our friends overseas today who, again, are are not clamoring per se that it would stop, but they're clamoring, look, if this is God's sovereign plan, if this is His will, that as He unfolds what biblically should happen, if this is what He's up to here, we simply ask that you would pray this for us in the midst of what's going on of our pain. Help us to know our pain has purpose and pray that we would have faith to not quit and to not lose hearts. That's what they're asking for. It's amazing, isn't it? And it's amazing also what what we, if we're not careful, can complain about that has nothing to do with the advancement of the gospel, but truth be told, has everything to do with the hindering of the gospel. Peace, peace, peace. He makes this statement, greetings, it's a welcome. There's my son, Mark, Marcus, Marcus. Don't think we ever really called our son Marcus. Is this a spiritual son called Mark? Well, we believe it is. We believe it's John Mark. And again, think through how God works. Think about His grace. The same John Mark who had the contention with Paul. Same one. Paul's like, look, you, you can't, you can't. We got to part ways here. I'm running hard after the gospel, and we're just not seeing eye to eye on this. And yet, Paul, at the very end of his life, we see this as he writes to, to Timothy. He, he writes so beautifully, doesn't he? And you see what happens through this. And he says, look, here's the deal. He says, I'm about ready to be poured out as a drink offering. But none have stood with me. All have forsaken me. All have abandoned me. Let it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood with me. But the Lord, the mighty awesome one, He stood with me. And He says these words. He says, bring John Mark because he's useful to me. I call that grace. I call that grace and mercy. As He says these words, He concludes with this beautiful thought of do this with the kiss of love as you as you greet one another, it basically, in that Eastern culture, it's kind of like a handshake. And he says, peace to all of you 
who are in Christ. Peace. It's a tranquil state of the soul. It's a soul that's at rest. It's content. It's a soul that's in union to Christ. It's a soul that has its identity wrapped up in Christ. It's a soul that understands you're a new creation because the reality is you can attend church all your life and not be in Christ. Totally possible. I believe it happens all the time. And have you noticed this? That he uses the word in again. So stand firm in it for you that are in Christ, for you that are in Him, for you that have given your lives to Him. And the the picture, the illustration here is that you're either in or you're out, but you can't be both. And he continues with this because think about this, if they're suffering like we all tend to suffer, what do we typically do when we suffer? We're looking for an exit ramp. We're looking for an escape hatch, if you will, because we don't want to go through the suffering. But we've got to remember this, church, that, that Peter's point through this, after you've suffered a little while and the God of all grace has called you to His eternal glory in Christ Jesus, will perfect, uh, He'll establish, He'll strengthen, He'll restore, He'll mend back together. But we've got to understand this deep biblical truth about suffering is that suffering is for God's glory, but it's also for our good. You and I are not going to learn how to truly be more like Christ, be conformed to the image of Christ, be more all in for Christ, if all we celebrate is just His resurrection, but we don't dive into the fellowship of His sufferings. Humanly speaking, we don't default to that. We, we have to be reminded. We have to be pushed back. We have to have pressure into our lives. That's why Jesus said there in John that in this world you will have tribulation, but to be of good cheer makes no sense. Wait a minute, Jesus. Are you feeling okay? In this world I will have problems, and you're telling me to celebrate and throw a party? We'll read the rest of the verse. But be of good cheer. Why? Because I, Jesus, have overcome the world. That's something to celebrate, amen? That Jesus has overcome the world is worth a celebration and a party. Process those thoughts for a moment. Just let that sink in. Peace, peace. Key number two, write this down. As the human soul craves to be at peace, True peace is only found through the Prince of Peace, Jesus. Key number two, as the human soul craves to be at peace, true peace is only found through the Prince of Peace, Jesus. Now, I want you to listen up here for a minute, okay? The entire point of salvation, as we've said so often around here, is not fire insurance. I mean, if, if we teach our children at a young age and we ask them a question, hey, who doesn't want to go to hell? I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer as a 10-year-old, but I can tell you what my answer is going to be. <laughs> no way, man. I'm out of here, right? And what happens is, from a young age, we don't really teach them what biblical salvation is. Just, hey, who doesn't want to go to hell? Is that a component of salvation? Amen, amen. But it's not this fire insurance. We've got to get away from this. The entire point of salvation is that through the person finished work of Jesus Christ, He and only He has brought you to God, period. That's salvation. 
that when you begin to unpack that for children and students and adults, let me get this straight. So, I, I'm separated from God, yes. On my best day, I'm like filthy rags. Disgusting, filthy rags on my best day. And are you telling me that the point of this is that because of this eternal separation, something had to happen to bring me to God? And the answer is yes. And and how do you get to that point? You don't get to that point by just saying, who doesn't want to go to hell? You get to that point going, you know what the reality is? I know this is going to hurt Timmy and Susie's feelings, but the reality is, is that we're sinful. The reality is, is that I, I don't desire God apart from Jesus. The reality is, is that I, I, I'm walking in darkness apart from Christ. The reality is that apart from Christ, that I'm lost forever and I will never abide in His presence. You think through that thought and think about how that connects to wanting peace. I mean, if you want a peaceless life, just be selfish. That'll work. I've never met one unselfish person that doesn't have some element of peace in their lives. I've met a bunch of selfish people that are chasing the wind. I mean, chasing it. Peace. A tranquil state of the soul that only comes through the righteous royal blood of Jesus. That, that's true peace. It only comes through the Prince of Peace. That's why we, we must pursue the mind of Christ. That's why we must arm ourselves with the thinking of Christ. That he, all through Peter, we, we've looked at 105 verses, word after word after word. And if you were to go back later and read all five chapters, and I encourage you to do that, read them all in totality, you're going to come out of that going over and over, Peter has Said, it's the grace of God, but he's reiterated the biblical mandate that faith without works is dead. Not this antinomianism stuff. Every antinomianist that I ever met has some secret challenge in their life they don't want to let go of, and that's why they go, it's just all about the grace of God, and I can just live however I want. No, Peter has told us, be holy, do it. Pursue these things. Be righteous. Hunger and thirst for it. We just don't get up every morning and somehow by osmosis, I just want Jesus more. That's not me. I even struggled this past week. There was a day where, man, I, I wasn't praying like I should. I wasn't in the Word like I should. I had to repent from that. And you know, by the way, let me share this testimony with you. That day that I was not in the Word like I should have been and not praying like I should have was a miserable day. And I'm not talking about miserable as far as things going haywire. I'm talking about my soul. My soul was not at peace. It just wasn't at peace. There's something that happens, though. We get in the Word, amen. We open the book. And we get our face... In the book, which is the real Facebook, amen? 
We get in there and we mine it and we write on the tablet our hearts and we get transformed by it and we, we see who God is. We go, oh, wait a minute. Oh, this is amazing. Did you see what God did here? Did you see what he did in 1 Peter chapter 5, 12 through 14? Did you see how he revealed his character and his glory and his praise and, and all his goodness and that in the midst of the suffering that his grace is deeper still? That right there will transform your life and your family your church and your community as you get in the Word in deep, fervent prayer. Write down these verses. Romans 5, 1 through 5. Romans 5, 1 through 5. Paul writes, Therefore, since we have been justified, declared righteous by faith, beautiful, we have what church? Peace. With who? God. How? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. If you're into Scripture memory, and I pray that everyone across the room is, that's one right there, Romans 5.1. Actually, Romans 5.1 through 5 is what I'm going to read here. You should memorize that whole chunk of Scripture. Man, this is it right here. This is the gospel. Let me read it again, Romans 5.1. Therefore, and a lot of it was just said in chapter 4, since, since we have been justified, declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God. He's God has been brought to us by the blood of Jesus. We've been brought to Him through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. <laughs> Did you catch that point right there, church? By faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in our hope of the glory of God. Not only that, however, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing there's a confidence here that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. Why? Because God's love, His agape love, has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us, and all God's people said, wow. John 14, 27, John 14, 27, peace I leave with you, my peace, my peace. Did you catch this? Jesus says, my peace I give to you. Jesus doesn't give you someone else's peace because there isn't such thing only through the Prince of Peace. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. John 16, 33, I alluded to this earlier. John 16, 33, I have said these things to you that in me, do you catch this? That in me, Jesus says, you may have what church? Peace. He promises something right here. In the world, you will have tribulation. It's a pressure. It's a pressing together is what that Greek word means. We're all under pressure at times. We can't figure life out. It's discouraging. We have anxiety. We have stresses. But he says these words, but take heart. Why? Because I, Jesus, have overcome the world. Ephesians chapter 2, 13 through 20. Ephesians 2, 13 through 20. Listen to this. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You catch that visual? For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in the flesh. The dividing wall of hostility, the veil of the temple was torn in two. 
at the resurrection of King Jesus, we have a straight shot to the Father. Hmm. Abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that He might create in Himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. And He might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And He came and He preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who are near. For through Him, we both have access in one Spirit to the Father. Why? So then you are now no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus Himself being the cornerstone. Amen? You might say it like this, burdens are lifted at Calvary. Amen? Isn't that so true? For the true believer today has given their life to Jesus. Aren't you so glad that the burdens have been lifted at Calvary? You know, over the years, people have asked, why? Why do you walk through books of the Bible? Why do you walk through word by word, verse by verse? You know, kind of the flavor of the day, and I've alluded to this earlier, but I believe I need to address it again. The flavor of the day is there's a whole lot of how-to being taught and not a whole lot of want-to. Let me explain. If I stood up here week after week and taught you about your finances and your marriage and your kids the chances that I get you to the holiness of God are pretty slim. But when we start with the holiness of God, when we start with the beauty of the Gospel, when we start with obedience to Christ and and pursuing Him with everything that we are, here's the beauty. When you begin to start with those things, here's what I've learned over the years, is that your marriage will get better. Your kids will start behaving. You'll handle your finances like you should. It's just amazing when you start with God and you start with Him and you say, God, we're going to run hard after you regardless of the cost. And and we know that if none go with us, we're still following you. That's what will satisfy the heart forever. And yet in this Americanized culture, We see that so often that's just not desired. Tim Challey said it like this. Listen closely. And in much the same way, there are many Christians who do not grow spiritually precisely because they go unnourished. They may hope for life and health. They may hope to thrive and to bloom beautifully but they cannot because they will not avail themselves of the means God provides. They do not pour over the words of sacred Scripture. They do not labor in prayer. They do not exert effort in being faithful to worship and serve in the local church. They may dabble in these things, 
Their eyes may flit over the Bible. Their mouths may recite a few memorized prayers. Their feet may occasionally lead them to church, but they do not commit to them. They do not give themselves to them. They do not take full advantage of God's provision. And if you, my friend, fail to nourish your soul, you have no cause to be surprised when your soul feels dry. When your faith feels parched, when you seem only to wither and fade, for the God who is so eager to give you His sanctifying grace tells you how you can expect to receive it, the means through which He pours it out upon you. It is for you to receive, to drink deeply, and then to thrive, end quote. Question for you and me today as we finish this five chapters of 1 Peter, 105 verses. Is your soul nourished? Is it full? Is it singing for joy today that we've been in the treasure trove of Scripture? Are you spiritually healthy, truthfully? Do you desire to be spiritually healthy? I've learned this about my own life and my own wickedness over the years is that I never stumble into spiritual health. Never. It takes a conscious effort. And with that, I want us to think about these last thoughts and simply this, a good question for all of us to ask. And I want you to ask this to yourself as I've asked it, I've pondered this all week long. But church, here's the question. What is it today that I'm doing that you're doing? Make it personal. What is it today that I'm doing that you're doing? Let's ask ourselves, draw a circle around ourselves, no one else. But what is it today that you and I are doing that when we die will not matter? What is it? What are we doing today? It's just so easy to, to get off course. I was thinking about that thought and my heart was weeping over my own life. What about this thought? If you knew that Jesus was coming back tomorrow at 12 noon. 12 noon, Jesus is coming back. Like somehow we know this. We don't. It's all hypothetical. But if He's coming back at 12 noon tomorrow, if you knew that somehow, how would your life change starting right now? Church, there aren't any shortcuts. There are not any shortcuts to being holy, to being a disciple of Jesus. It's hard. And the way is narrow. And the Bible says this, not me, but the Bible says this, few will find it. Only few will find this. The question of the hour is this, are you one of the few? Are you truthfully one of the few today that, that you're on the narrow path, that you're pursuing the things of God, that again, because there aren't any quick fixes, there aren't any shortcuts, there aren't any detours, there's no such thing as microwave Christianity, what will it take for you and I to truly embrace with a desperation the need to give everything away for the glory of God? What will it take for you and I to, to give everything away in missionary sacrifice? Church, today I want to implore us Today, if you hear His voice all across this room, today if you hear His voice, not mine, but if you hear the voice of the Lord, the power of the Holy Spirit, if you're hearing Him right now, He's working on you, do not harden your heart. Don't harden your heart. Don't do it. And for you who are suffering, confidently preach to yourselves that there will be a day 
when your suffering will be no more. For you that are suffering today and you've given your life to Jesus, and I know some of your stories here and some of you have been through so much and my heart weeps and it breaks for you. As your pastor, I simply say this, keep pressing on. Like keep pressing on for you dads in the room, rise up. Rise up and pastor your families like never before. For you grandpas, take advantage. You, you only got a moment with those grandkids. Every moment you're with them, you can gospel them. Every moment you're with them, you can live for Christ. Every moment. Because it's here today and it's gone tomorrow. And we never get it back. But what we can do is we can seize the day. Amen, church? We can seize the day. We can be men and women of the cross of Jesus Christ. We can be men and women that say, you know what? Not on my watch. Not on my watch. No, no. I'm all in for Jesus, and it may cost me everything, but I'm all in. I'm going to make a difference. I want to leave a legacy. I want to live to be missed, so to speak, for the gospel's sake. I want to set the tone. I want to be a world changer. You know, it's amazing how God doesn't typically call the people that we might think He would call to do great things. When you look through Scripture, you see God calling a bunch of ordinary, jacked-up people. And He uses them because they're humble, and they're pliable, and they're coachable, and they're teachable. And at one point, they turned the world upside down for the glory of God. Amen. What did you learn today? I pray every time we leave here, you can go, you know, I learned this. I sunk my teeth into this. What did you learn today? Did you learn about being faithful like Sylvanus, Silas was? Did you learn about the grace of God, the true grace of God? Not the counterfeits that are out there, but the true grace of God. Did you learn about the peace that we all crave? And we're all searching, we're all clamoring. Man, I want peace in my life. And I just got to have it. I got to have it. And Jesus goes, hey, I'm over here. Oh, I pray today. I pray the Holy Spirit would move through this place like never before. And as He works in my heart and your heart, to Him be the praise, to Him be the glory. Father, we come before You. Lord, we give You praise as we meditate on these truths. Lord, give us encouragement, but give us a challenge. Lord, we see it so often in our personal lives that when we're challenged, we rise to the occasion. Well, if we know that if we don't show up for work, we're going to get fired, we show up for work. It's amazing how that often doesn't work in our spiritual lives. It's just too easy to play games with you, God. God, I ask for forgiveness today for the days that I played games with you this past week. Forgive me, Lord. Maybe there's another person in this room that would like to ask for that same forgiveness. Holy Spirit, maybe there's one here in the room today that's never truly given their life to Jesus. It's not real. Father, I pray, would you move? Move in power. Don't allow the enemy to have his teeth into those people any longer. Remove his fangs.
I pray they'd be set free today. Total surrender. For those that are hurting and struggling and discouraged, God, I pray you'd speak a word of of great refreshment into their lives today. Father, whatever you want to do in this time as we reflect, as we ponder, as we think, as we listen to your still small voice, God, what is it you're asking us to do right now? What is it you want us to do? And then give us the strength and the courage, even though it will be costly. Give us the courage to follow you. Oh, Father, move and move in power. Restore marriages in this room today, God, I pray. All over this room, God, I pray for marriages to be restored. I pray for family units to be restored all over this room, Father. I pray for broken relationships between children and parents. They'd be restored. Father, move in power. Move in strength. Move in might. Spur us to surrender all right now. Help us to know because you live, we can face today and we can face tomorrow. Oh, Father, we give our lives to you today. May we never take this for granted. May we never waste another breath. But help us to live for you all the days of our lives. And to you be the praise. To you be the glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. You've been listening to This Day in the Word, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. Don't forget that all of these messages are archived and are free to download at thisdayministries.org. That's thisdayministries.org. In addition, if you have been blessed by the teaching of God's Word during This Day in the Word, we would love to hear from you. Our email address is info at thisdayministries.org. Thanks again for listening as we strive to honor Christ and impact our world as we spend this day in the Word.